Clancy Pasta presents Fiona's Misfortunes, written by Sammy Scott. The day had been perfect so far. I walked slightly behind Gabe as we weaved our way through the summer crowd on the boardwalk. His hand, slippery from sweat and sunscreen, threatened to slip from my grasp, so I held it tighter in an effort not to lose him as we passed the random storefronts and tiny restaurants that formed a wall to our left. There was nothing but sand, sea, and sunshine on our right. A break in the crowd allowed Gabe to walk beside me again instead of pulling me behind him through the unending sea of vacationers. My anxiety diminished with the crowd, my unease with crowded spaces briefly abated. The respite coincided with a break in the clouds, and I felt the sun anew on my face. I took a deep breath, closed my eyes, and smiled. The aroma was an inviting mixture of salt air, french fries, suntan lotion, and alcohol. I pulled Gabe closer to me and clasped both hands around his arm, momentarily resting my head on his bare shoulder. I smiled up at him. Having a good time? he asked. The best, I said, and I turned my face up to the sky and enjoyed a warm kiss from the sun. Above our heads, a seagull scolded us. Are you thirsty? Gabe asked, and pointed toward one of the many refreshment kiosks that dotted the boardwalk, this one advertising the number one rated fresh-squeezed lemonade on the beach. It was at least the third such sign I had spotted on our walk. We paused to let pass a gaggle of elderly women all dressed in sun hats and loudly colored sarongs, their laughter loud and contagious. Rough crowd, I chuckled. Wouldn't want to meet them in a dark alleyway, Gabe joked. He walked up to the counter and ordered two lemonades that came in translucent yellow plastic cups shaped like lemons topped with green curly straws. The drink was almost too tart and too sweet at the same time, but it was cold and wet and exactly what I needed. We resumed our walk, enjoying the sunshine on our already round skin, and feeding off the intoxicating energy of the summertime crowd around us. We passed the random assortments of storefronts, beach accessories, tattoo parlors, sunglass stores, custom t-shirt shops, pizzerias, bars, ice cream shops, and the occasional curiosities like mirror mazes, haunted houses, and arcades. Nearing what I perceived to be the end of the boardwalk, where the retail spaces and restaurants gave way to nothing but looming beachfront hotels, I was about to suggest turning around and heading back to where we had started, when I saw that Gabe was glancing with curiosity down an alleyway between two buildings. I looked where he was looking. In the shadow of the alley, it was difficult to see much of anything, especially with my eyes accustomed to the blinding afternoon sun. But as we approached, I saw that there was a doorway on the right-hand side of the alley in the shape of a giant keyhole. Above it was painted the words, Marvin's Marvels and Arcade. What is that? asked Gabe, taking my hand and pulling me toward the door. I was oddly reluctant to follow, but didn't resist his pull. The air in the alleyway was chillingly cool against my hot skin, its odor dark and moldy compared to the inviting breeze of the boardwalk. Gabe reached the door first, peered inside briefly, then looked at me and smiled broadly. He entered the keyhole door, pulling me in after him. The arcade was much larger than I had expected it to be. The ceiling was high, with every inch of the exposed rafters decorated with oddities. 
Vintage pinball machines lined the wall to our left, facing a row of old arcade cabinets. All were lit and spewing noises, combined cacophony that was both irritating and inviting. Gabe let go of my hand and walked ahead, grinning. I followed a few steps behind, my eyes uncomfortable with the light of the games that was glaringly bright against the overall darkness of the arcade itself. It took me a moment to focus in on the strange shapes on the wall above the pinball machines, a collection of antique marionettes suspended from the ceiling, their limbs limp, hinged mouths hanging open, dull eyes staring down in all directions, some aimed directly at me. We passed a little boy in a yellow t-shirt standing in front of a machine labeled Old Kentucky Home. Through a glass window in the rust-covered white cabinet, seven small animatronic dolls sat on the patio of a miniature log cabin, each clutching a different musical instrument. The dolls bounced and jerked as a speaker belched out an ancient recording of the titular song. Grinning madly as they played, the doll's black eyes were fixed solidly on the boy, who returned their stare, his mouth open, his body completely still, as if mesmerized. Check this out, said Gabe. He was standing in front of a warped mirror. His reflection was of a man with stubs for legs, under coral-colored shorts, his sandal-clad feet flat as pancakes, his blue tank-top-clad torso stretched thin like taffy, his head squished and grinning. He chuckled to himself, and I had to laugh in return. Stepping aside, he said, Look at yourself. Reluctantly, I did so. The effect was similar, but since I was nearly a foot shorter than Gabe, it was my head that was stretched like a long piece of lumber, my brown hair falling in thin waves down to my shoulders, which had become one with my legs and feet as if my lower body had been through a press. I shook my head and smiled at Gabe, who had moved on to the next cabinet. Titled The Happy Clown, the white-faced puppet inside, seated on a barrel, wore a grin that was almost wider than its face, its eyebrows arched unnaturally upward. It was staring off to one side, a plastic cricket perched on its nose. There was a clinking sound as Gabe deposited a quarter, and before I could object to the expenditure, the cabinet flooded with light as the clown arched backwards on the barrel, kicking his feet into the air, his laughter loud and uproarious. The effect was intended to be funny, but I found it more maniacal than amusing. How old do you think these things are? Gabe asked, smiling back at the clown. Past their expiration date, I said, rubbing my shoulders against a chill. This place is so cool, Gabe said. You say so, I replied. The clown stopped laughing with an abrupt jerk, and the cabinet went dark. Gabe walked away, deeper into the arcade and I followed with reluctance. I glanced upward again toward the ceiling with its odd collection of antique items, porcelain dolls with cracked faces, retired animatronic animals with their metal skeletons poking through fur that had long ago begun to dry rot, shrunken heads, ventriloquist dummies with flaking paint and dusty clothing, and every empty space filled with cobwebs, both real and decorative. After passing a couple of cabinets with out-of-order signs, Gabe stopped at one called Purging Patsy and thumbed a quarter through a slot. The girl inside was nothing but vinyl skin stretched tight over metal bone, her eyes wide, her cheeks sunken, with thin, wispy hair over a wide forehead. She was seated at a small table, an empty plate in front of her. "'That was delicious!' she exclaimed before jutting two fingers down her throat. 
Water exploded from her mouth and nose, splashing the glass in front of her, accompanied by hideous belching sounds. I jumped, startled by the sudden movement of the animatronic. That's disgusting, I said, turning away. And not just a little bit offensive. Gabe laughed. He was clearly enjoying himself, and I didn't want to ruin it for him. But I found myself wishing to be rid of the place sooner rather than later. Sensing my unease, Gabe leaned over and kissed my forehead. I felt simultaneously loved and pandered to. Fiona, check this one out, he said. The glass cabinet in front of him housed a sculpted caricature of a psychiatrist in a tiny office lined with little bookshelves. The doll, dressed in a lab coat, had an oversized head with exaggerated features. Behind his tiny spectacles, he had no eyes, a detail I found myself wishing had not omitted. He sat in a leather chair opposite a shiny black couch, which was empty. The sign above read, Dr. Shrink, let me pick your brain. Gabe slid in a quarter, and the doctor looked up. His lips did not move as he spoke. Well, hello, good sir, he said in a friendly tone with a hint of a bad German accent. Nice to see you on such a lovely day. Would you like to take a seat on my couch? His tiny, shaky hand gestured toward the empty piece of furniture that was covered in a thick layer of dust. Well, that's okay. I can give you my diagnosis from where you are standing. No, no, no need to speak. I am good at reading faces. Let's see. Yes, I can tell you are a very happy young man. Very happy. So much in love but I do see one small problem in your immediate future. Tiny, infinitesimal. But don't give up and just try to be the bigger man. Good day. The cabinet went dark. That was weird, Gabe said. I nodded, although Gabe wasn't looking at me. I was hopeful that he might suggest that we could return to the sunshine of the boardwalk. Instead, he pulled out his wallet. I'm going to get some more quarters. He began to walk briskly away. Gabe, I protested. Just a few more, he said, backing away. Have you ever seen a place like this before? He turned a corner and disappeared behind another row of machines. I took a deep breath, looking further down the road to my left. An ancient-looking Chinese man behind glass offered to tell me my future. A robot chicken waited to play tic-tac-toe. A bald, manacled scientist beckoned me to take his hand in return for a shock. A few feet away from me, I spotted another patron. A young man in jeans and a polo shirt stood in front of a cabinet. He had both hands on either side of the machine and was leaning forward, staring intently through the glass. I stepped closer to get a better look at what had captured his attention. Behind the glass was a woman, or at least a rubber and metal facsimile of a woman. A buxom blonde in a tight white tank top, her hair teased big, and her lips red like cherries. The sign at the top read, A kiss from Kate. How do you rate? I waited to see if the man would pay to activate the machine. Instead, he stood staring into Kate's eyes. She sat unmoving, unblinking, in her dark cabinet. After a moment, the man sniffed loudly and, sensing my presence, turned toward me. We exchanged glances for only an instant, and I was struck by the despair in his eyes. He immediately looked away from me, his face registering embarrassment, and stepped away from the cabinet. As he brushed by me, he shook his head before disappearing into another aisle. 
I approached the cabinet and looked closely at the artificial woman within, trying to figure out what had held the man's attention so closely. I fished in my pocket for a quarter and, finding one, inserted it into the slot in front of me. The interior of the cabinet flooded with light as Kate sat up abruptly, startling me. I took a step back. Well, hello, big boy, she shouted in a southern drawl, her hinged mouth opening and closing, the movement not at all in sync with her words. Why not come a little closer and give me a kiss? Her arms moved jerkily as she spoke. I noticed that several of her fingernails were broken, revealing white plaster at the tips. Her gestures were unnatural and unnerving, not even remotely lifelike, even as her face was quite pretty in a very exaggerated way. Her cheekbones too high, her lips too full. Now don't be shy, she implored. Come here and give me a kiss. I stood still. Kate lurched forward, her forehead slamming against the glass of the cabinet, rattling it loudly. I jumped. Her long-lashed eyelids collapsed shut as she emitted an amplified smooching sound that left me feeling self-conscious. I glanced around to see if anyone was watching me, and there stood the man, the one who had been studying the machine mere moments before, a few paces away. He looked at me as if offended. Kate leaned away from the glass and opened her eyes again with an audible click. That was some good sugar, sugar, she exclaimed, but not the best I've ever had. Why not try again? The cabinet's lights dimmed and Kate slouched in her chair. She stared at me through the darkness of her tiny prison, and when I finally broke our gaze, the man was gone again. I left the aisle and entered the next one, the aisle that Gabe had entered in search of change. It was empty. Gabe? I called out, but I could barely hear my own voice above the din of the machine surrounding me. I tried his name again, even though I knew it was a fruitless endeavor. Further down the aisle, a large white box on a pedestal caught my eye. Marvin's Marvels in miniature declared the sign above the box. It was featureless and smooth, save for a single red button and a tiny keyhole-shaped door in the front. I approached the box, bent over slightly to look through the keyhole, and pressed the button. The interior was bathed with light and inside I saw a perfect miniature replica of the arcade. Tiny cabinets glowed with light. Strange curiosities adorned the walls and ceiling. Figurines of patrons stood motionless, transfixed in front of little pinball machines. The detail throughout was incredible, the craftsmanship impeccable, and I found myself transfixed by the scene. I was about to walk away when I saw something move. One of the figures was walking, quickly, in fact, down one of the aisles. I was amazed. This little figure was moving more smoothly and naturally than any of the life-sized animatronics I had seen so far in the arcade. As he moved down one of the aisles toward the back of the box, he was looking quickly to his left and right, as if in search of something. Reaching the far end of one row of cabinets, he turned down a second row and began walking forward. Suddenly, he stopped, looking up at me and took a startled step backwards. For a moment, he stood transfixed, staring right into my eye, and my mind registered details I hadn't noticed before. He was wearing coral-colored shorts, a blue tank top, and sandals. He was Gabe, only smaller than the size of my thumb. 
He raised his arms frantically and began racing toward me. I took a sudden step away from the box, removing my finger from the red button. The light through the keyhole was extinguished. I took a deep breath. What I had seen was impossible. Collecting myself, I stepped forward again, pressed the button, and looked inside. Gabe, little Gabe, that is, was sitting on the floor in front of the keyhole, knees tucked up under his chin, rocking. He looked up at me, sprang to his feet, and once again ran toward me. I backed away again, releasing the button. This had to be some kind of a joke. A hologram projection, perhaps? A practical joke that patrons could pay to play on each other? A third time, I stepped forward, and for the third time, I pressed the button and looked inside. This time, I saw nothing but his face, pressed against the keyhole, his visage one of complete desperation. I was startled by his closeness and let out an audible gasp. I pulled my finger away from the button as if scorched. I looked behind me. There was no one around. If anything, the arcade had gotten darker and quieter in the time since we had arrived. Turning back to the white box, I stretched out my arm and pushed the button a final time. Light spilled from the keyhole. I hesitantly stepped forward and looked inside. There was no motion of any kind, just the miniature arcade in all its intricate detail. I scanned each aisle in search of the tiny version of Gabe and saw nothing. With a sense of disappointment, I began to release the button when I saw him. He was standing in one of the pinball machines, motionless. His face wore a static grin as he stared at the machine in front of him, his body rigid, his clothes nothing but painted detail. I backed away from the machine and down an aisle. Gabe? I shouted as loud as I could, not at all self-conscious that another customer might hear me. Gabe. I took my cell phone out of my pocket and tapped Gabe's number. It went immediately to voicemail. Up one aisle and down another, I could find no one. Dead eyes stared at me from every dark cabinet, my movement occasionally bringing one to life, startling me with a robotic greeting or artificial laughter, beckoning me to play. My nerves frayed. I determined to find the exit. I could wait in the sunshine of the boardwalk for Gabe to come out and find me. Perhaps he was already there. But there was no door to be found at the end of any of the aisles. No keyhole-shaped escape illuminated by the sunshine of the outside world. Gabe? I yelled again. It was met by laughter from the peeling face of a fake bartender in the machine to my right. Closing time! He yelled. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. He laughed loudly, and I felt inexplicable panic rising in my chest. Backing away, I found myself against a black draped wall. With a sense of relief, I saw the red light of an exit sign above my head. I pulled the curtains aside until I found an opening, and I stepped through. All was dark and silent. The air was still. I could hear nothing but the ringing in my ears and the sound of my own breathing. I waited for my eye to adjust to the darkness, my hands held out in front of me. Then there was an echoing clanking noise, and my eyes were blinded by sudden light. A sensation like cold metal pressed harshly against my back, and I jerked forward, 
my hands going up suddenly in an involuntary movement. I blinked in the light for a moment before realizing that there were two girls in front of me, both clad in bright bikini tops, their bottle blonde hair shining like the sun, both clutching tropical drinks with fluorescent green plastic straws. Hello? I said. They both giggled and stared at me. Well, hello, Fiona, one of them said with an exaggerated tone, and the two exchanged glances and giggled anew. One of them gazed downward, tugging at her straw, while the other looked at me intently. Well, she said, tell me my fortune. I felt my arms drop, weak, and I lowered my eyes. There was a clicking noise, and the second girl bent down in front of me, reaching for something out of sight. When she stood up again, she was holding a small white card. Fiona's misfortunes, she read in an exaggerated tone, and then she furrowed her brow. What does it say? the other girl asked. She had pulled out her cell phone and was thumbing the screen with casual distraction. It just says, help me. She handed the card over to Cell Phone Girl, who glanced at the card, glanced at me, and then tossed it over her shoulder. It fluttered out of sight. She walked away. This place is dumb, she called. Let's go. The second girl hesitated, staring at me, returning my gaze. Her smile faded. I attempted to speak, to move, to blink. After a moment, the girl shrugged and walked away. And then, with a click, the lights went out around me, and everything was dark again. Internet privacy is becoming more and more important these days, and using a VPN in general is the best way to ensure you've got it. And ExpressVPN has everything you'd ever want and need in a VPN, and more. I've tried other VPNs, but once I started using Express months ago, I've never looked back. ExpressVPN works on nearly every computer, tablet, and mobile device, and contains a huge network of servers, over 3,000 spanning 94 countries, with great speeds. You can use it to unblock popular online services like Netflix and Facebook, and they value your privacy more than anything. There are no activity or connection logs, and they use PWC audited servers to confirm compliance with their privacy policy. They are just fantastic, and I could not be more happy to be partnered with them. So if you are interested in trying it out, you can go to expressvpn.com slash clancypasta, or click the link in the description for three months free when you order a 12-month subscription. Using my link, you get an awesome deal, and it helps me out a ton as well. Alright, so without further ado, here's the episode. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed tonight's story. If you did, make sure to check out more of the author's work in the episode description and go to youtube.com slash clancypasta to hear new episodes first. And if you'd like your story featured in an episode, feel free to email it to clancypastastories at gmail.com. You can always get your creepy cool merch at teespring.com slash stores slash clancypasta store. And I hope you all have a great night. Cheers. <laughs>